Hey friends, it's Kara Kay, and this is the Asking for a Friend podcast, a weekly show for the woman who has questions about herself, the church, and the world. We are all asking hard questions that affect us as women in the culture that surrounds us, and we are looking for a safe space to ask them. But don't worry, I know you're only asking for a friend. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Asking for a Friend. I am thrilled to have you here with me this week. I am really excited about this conversation that I have for you guys today. I am sitting down with Sarah Jackson, who is the author of the brand new book called The House That Love Built, as she talks about why she opened her doors to immigrants and how she found hope in the broken system of immigration. And so we are answering the question, what is really going on at the border? I don't know about you, but maybe you feel like me, that you feel like all these mixed stories and you really don't know what's going on. You don't know who to believe. And so I had to go to somebody who's been there, who's in it with people who are crossing the border. Now, Sarah is the founder and executive director of an organization called Casa de Paz. That's a hospitality home in Denver, Colorado, and they host immigrants. They help them through the process of immigration and just the work they're doing is amazing. Well, I'm so excited to have you here today, Sarah. This is such a great conversation that I've been wanting to have for a while. And before we get into all that, and I ask you a million questions, would you just tell us a little bit about you and how you got started in this ministry and helping immigrants? Yes. So I, um, about 15, 14, 15 years ago, I was living in Colorado Springs, which is about 90 minutes away from where I live now, Denver, Colorado. I had never put any thought or attention into immigration. And so I'm very excited to hear that you have questions and are curious about learning because 10, 15 years ago just wasn't a blip on my radar. Yeah, I which I actually, think it is for so many people. Yep. Well, if and it why doesn't you, affect right? you immediately, then you don't even realize that it's going on. Yeah, it's not like you're going to wake up in the morning and go to Google and yeah. type in undocumented immigrants, what's right. happening at the border. I mean, right, just, right. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't in my, in my, you know, in my, on my radar. Yeah. I was, I was actually working at a church and I was the pastor's assistant and our pastor received an invitation from Catholic Charities uh-huh. to go down to the Mexico-U.S. border to learn about immigration and specifically as people of faith, how do we respond when immigrants come to the country that we live in? And I was his assistant. I checked his schedule. He was unavailable that week. And so I raised my hand to go on the trip instead of him because as I was reading the email, it wasn't that it was an exploratory trip to learn about immigration and how our faith changes our response potentially. It wasn't that that caught my eye. What caught my eye in the invite was that it was an all-expenses-paid trip to Mexico. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, beach, right? I seriously thought beach, (laughs) and in the email it said you will be going to the Arizona border. Where is there a beach in Arizona? (laughs) There isn't. But I saw myself on the beach getting a tan. I'm like, oh, sign me up for this vacation. (laughs) And, And I went down there, and for the first time in my life, 
I realized that there was a lot going on specifically at the border and I was completely oblivious to it and I was so grateful that those words all expenses paid trip caught my eye because mm -hmm. had it not been for those words I would have just deleted the email and gone on with my life yeah isn't it crazy how God catches our attention with things yeah. like that that <laughs> completely transform the trajectory of our lives uh-huh and that's crazy. exactly what happened to me because on the border I was able to meet people who were affected by our immigration policies. And specifically because we were there on the border, I was meeting people who were affected by the border wall. Okay. I was meeting asylum seekers who were fleeing violence in their home countries, coming to the United States for safety. I met folks who grew up their whole lives as undocumented immigrants in the United States and then were just recently deported. And it shocked me because mm -hmm. I had no idea that this was happening. Yeah. Wow. From that time in your life 15 years ago, when your eyes were kind of opened, I guess, to what was going on, really, what did that look like? What path did that take you on to where you are now, the work you're doing now? It was a lot of denial at the beginning. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I went to the border. I met these folks who shared their most vulnerable stories with me. And I knew, I knew right away on that trip, my life was going to change. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I didn't know why, but I knew in my gut, oh, my life is about to change. And I was not happy about it right? because I'm a creature of habit and I really <laughs> enjoyed my life. And so after I returned to Colorado, for the next couple of years, as the, you know, in the back of my head, I'm saying, no, 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 I don't want to change. I don't want to mm -hmm. change my life. I was still immersing myself and, and finding safe places to ask questions that I was embarrassed to ask because yeah. maybe it painted me in a light that, especially as a Christian, I didn't want to be known for some of the thoughts that were in my head. But, but instead of just sitting with them, I, I, found folks who I felt safe enough to ask the questions and knew I wouldn't be judged. Right. I mean, before I went on that trip to the border, all I knew about immigrants is what I heard on the news. And what I was hearing on the news was they're coming illegally. Mm -hmm. They're, they're selling drugs. They're raping people, kick them all out and build the wall higher. And that's what I knew. Yeah. And, and I don't say that flippantly, but I say that because the, the single experience of meeting someone who has been separated by their family or coming to the United States for asylum changed my life and the way that I thought. And I would have never imagined it could have done that, but it, it's, it's a, such a powerful experience. Right. Let's dig into some of these questions that people are asking. I love that you said that, that you were like, I don't even know how to ask these questions. I don't know. I don't want to look silly. I don't want people to think I'm dumb, you know, things like that. And or I think that that's what, how a lot of women feel like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't. And that's, I mean, that's the whole point of my podcast here. So yeah. perfect. Perfect that you're here. <laughs> I actually got some questions from some listeners. My husband and I are really passionate about this. We talked through some questions. And so let's just dive in and talk about some of these things that people are asking questions about so we can help them really form thoughts for themselves and how to have these conversations with other people. Great. Can you help us really understand what people's status looks like when they're coming to the United States? Because I think that's a lot of, we hear that in the news, like you were saying, is 
there all these illegal people are coming in but that's not really the truth because there's illegal there's undocumented can you break that down for people to understand what that looks like i think of if you're an office watcher i think of michael scott when he's like explain <laughs> oh. it to me like i'm a 5 year old yes that's one of my favorite favorite let's do let's do that explain it to us like we're 5 year olds yes Well, if I could, you know, if I had a group of five-year-olds with me right now, (laughs) um, one of the things that I would encourage them at such a young age is to consider even the word illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know about you, but I mean, have you ever sped? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's like, we all do illegal things. Right. And I don't look at you and say, oh, your definition is now illegal driver, even though we've done illegal things. So. So for the, the words that, that I like to use to describe someone who is in the United States or is coming to the United States that has crossed illegally is um, someone exactly like that, an undocumented immigrant who crossed illegally. The thing I think that surprises a lot of people and especially surprised me is this. When you come to the United States and ask for asylum, and asylum mm-hmm. is basically a measure of protection that you can request so that you are not returned to your country of origin because it is too dangerous for you to live there, whether it's religious persecution or political persecution, whatever. There are certain requirements that your story must fall into in order to request asylum, but but it's a universal uh, respected law that you can at least come and ask. Mm -hmm. And you cannot do that from your country that you were born in, Guatemala, Bangladesh, Cameroon, Russia, Mexico. You have to actually be on U.S. soil to ask. So you get to the border, uh, you you voluntarily present yourself to a border patrol officer. So, for for my one of my very dear friends, he uh, actually a couple years ago made the journey from Cameroon, Africa, all the way to the California Mexico border. Wow. In Cameroon right now, there is a genocide occurring, mm-hmm. and I won't go into all the details, but big picture. The government is run by a French um, government that speaks French. And then there are pockets within Cameroon that only speak English. Okay. And he is an English-speaking Cameroonian, and they have been discriminated against their whole lives. They don't have access to the same education, to the same uh, resources that French speakers have. So they protested against the government. I mean, right now we can look around not only our own states and our country, but the entire world is protesting injustices that we see. Mm-hmm. Well, in Cameroon, if you protest against the government, it is a, a dictatorship there, and they put a target on your back, and they will try to kill you, at wow. no no matter the cost. Yeah. And it's the government, so who do you turn to? Yeah. They, right? So he, he went from Cameroon, Africa. It took him three months to cross the ocean, to, to land in Central America, and then by foot by boat, by horse, by train, by bus, by taxi, three months later in the same deserts and the same jungles that people die in every day coming to the United States for safety, he finally arrived at the border. He put his hands up, voluntarily presented himself at the border to a border patrol officer. He said, I am from Cameroon. I am requesting asylum from the United States. He was handcuffed. He was thrown into the back of a border patrol van 
at the border. And then he was put into an immigrant detention center along the border. And then after being there for a couple of weeks, he was transferred to another immigrant detention center in Arizona where he was held for another couple of weeks. And then finally he was transferred here to Denver, Colorado to another immigrant detention center. And he, he was being in, held indefinitely as his immigration case, his asylum case was being heard in front of the immigration judge assigned to him. And, and that's the way our law works. Mm -hmm. You can come to the United States. You have every right to ask for asylum. Doesn't mean you're going to win and you eventually may end up being deported, but that's your right to at least ask. And here we are putting folks in these for-profit prisons mm -hmm. who are undocumented, but they crossed legally. And I think that's a part that a lot of folks, including myself, I had no idea yeah. that they're actually following the law and then we're still treating them yeah. like this way. Huh. So what does that process typically look like? Is there a length of time that it usually takes for them? Is it is it a hearing um, type of thing that they go before a judge and then plead their case kind of thing? Yes. So at the border, they actually have what's called a credible fear interview. Okay. And that's kind of the first step. It's just saying, this is my story. This is why I can't go back. This is why it's too dangerous. And if they pass a credible fear interview, then they are able to be seen in front of an immigration judge. And then the judge is the one who ultimately makes the decision on whether or not they have ha win their case and can stay in the United States and live or to be deported. And, and most immigrants in detention uh, here, for example, in Colorado, uh, our detention center, over 90% of the detained immigrants do not have legal representation because it's so expensive. Right. Um, but if you are able to have an immigration lawyer represent you, I think the last I heard it was like 80% chance, a higher chance that you'll actually win your case. Hmm. And, and it's not because it changes any of the facts of what you went through compared to someone who didn't have a lawyer. It's simply the ability to present it in a mm -hmm. way that would ultimately end in a, in a positive verdict for you. Right. So let's say someone has come seeking asylum and they are denied. What then does that look like for them? They can appeal the, the decision and okay. have it taken to a, a higher court. Do they stay in the detention centers? Most of the time, yes. Okay. Now, there are, there are exceptions to the rule. Uh, for example, right now, as, the, as we're under a worldwide pandemic, as uh -huh. you can imagine, being in a prison increases the likelihood that you will catch the virus. I mean, right. you're, just, you're stuck in small spaces with folks who are... Uh, who have the virus. And so, you know, there may be an exception where you would petition and say, oh, uh, if right, actually right now here in uh, Denver, there's a, a woman who has one lung and oh. we know that the virus affects, it's a respiratory illness. Right. And, and so we'll petition for folks like that, or, or they can request um, situations. There was a, a couple of, oh, it's last, last Christmas, we had a, 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 a woman come uh, to the casa. I, sh she was already eating dinner at our table and I walked in after, I don't know, I was out doing something and I walked in the house and 
she was eating dinner and and I assumed she was a volunteer. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, she was probably in her mid seventies, and I guess you know, in my mind, most of the folks that we see at Casa de Paz are immigrants in you know their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties. Well, she was actually. Uh, just released from the detention center as a 75-year-old-ish uh, grandmother. Hmm. Uh, she grew up her whole life in, in the United States, and, and ICE found out that Immigration and Customs Enforcement ICE found out she was undocumented, and they arrested her in Arizona, and then they transferred her over here to Colorado. And And as we got to know each other, she started sharing with me that during the holiday season, uh, their family had gathered together to make tamales. It's a very uh, traditional mm-hmm. thing to do. And and she spoke with her children, and she had four or five grown children, and they were all together making tamales, and they were, we miss you so much, and we wish mm-hmm. you could be here. They said, you know, they, they said their goodbyes. They hung up the phone. The very next phone call she got was her husband letting her know that their oldest son... Um, had just arrived home from work, and as he pulled into the driveway, he opened up the door and slumped out of the car. He experienced a major heart attack on the spot, totally out of the blue, and he died. He passed away. And she received that news in the detention center, and his funeral was coming up. And so the family requested from the judge, "Can, can she please be released so that she can attend her son's funeral? So there are in, in situations where, and she she ended up getting a bond from her immigration judge. It was set at fifteen hundred dollars. The family paid it, and the next day she was home so that she could be there for her son's funeral. But these are this is the reason why I'm so grateful that we're having these conversations because I think sometimes we think, oh well, these things are happening on the border, or they, mm-hmm. they're not affecting me, or I don't know anyone, but. But imagine if that was you. I don't have any children, but I have a niece. And she's the cutest little three-year-old in the entire world. And if anything happened to her and I had to get home, you know, to, to be with my family, nothing nothing would stop me. These yeah. are real situations that people are experiencing, you know? Right. So I have some family that's actually from Venezuela. My, mm. my sister-in-law's husband grew up in Venezuela and a lot of his family has gotten out as you know how things are in yeah. Venezuela right now and his his grandmother is still living there and so mm-hmm. his parents have now moved to um, the states to live near him but they have had trouble going back to visit you know their moms bef- they want to see them before they you know before they pass because they're getting very old yeah. but it's been it, there's been so many issues with being able to get their passports and worrying about going back to the country and then even being able to leave. Um, have you seen a lot of struggles like that in the work that you're doing? Absolutely. Not only the fact that, you know, a, a lot of undocumented immigrants have to make this decision mm-hmm. that if I go back home, quote unquote, home to visit my my parents who are who are very elderly and very sick, um, I may not make it back to my new home, right, in the United States. Right. And because at the border, of course, they're going to inspect you and see if you have, uh, you know, your, your documents. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't, then you're detained and put into one of these detention centers. And so 
a lot of people are faced, one of my really good friends, Tony, his mother died and he knew there's no way that I would be able to come back to the United States. And so he never got to, well, first of all, he never got to say goodbye to his mother. And Mm -hmm. then he was never able to be there at the funeral. And I don't know if you've heard of this, but there's this event I I was able to participate in um, or participate in it last year. It's called the three minute hug. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't. Oh, well, this is a great, well, I don't know if I would use the word great, but (laughs) it's actually a short film on Netflix. So if you go, you can watch it on Netflix, or if you just Google three minute hug, there's a lot of, of articles out there that you can read. But basically, uh, last year I went down to the Mexico, Texas border and, um, I, I was in El Paso and there's this event for once a year for three minutes, the border will actually open up and folks on the Mexico side come, um, and then folks on the U S side come. And for three minutes, they're able to embrace one another. Oh, and I just got chills. It's, it was, it was one of the hardest experiences oh, of my life. And then I'm sure, first of all, made me grateful for the privilege that I have to see yes. my family whenever I want. Right. And, and you watch the families around you embrace one another and you wonder in the back of your head, is this the last time? Mm. Like this is. This is not something that, oh, well, I can think about it tomorrow or next year or, you know, I can I can start thinking about the way that our immigration policies are affecting folks later. Mm -hmm. It's it's real and it's it's urgent. Yeah. Let's talk about families a little bit. Um, I think what really has opened my eyes to issues with immigration is over the last couple of years, watching families be separated Mm -hmm. and Watching children, I, I've heard stories about children being taken away from their parents and then placed for adoption mm-hmm. without even being told that their parents were still in the country alive. And yeah. I have an adopted son, and so that hit home hard for me. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine adopting a child and then finding out that he was lied to, I was lied to, that his parents are here and they are trying to find him. You know, I feel like there's so many of these stories that we hear just families getting ripped apart. What would you say, would you maybe just tell us a little bit from you working within um, this system, what does it actually look like for families? And and what are some things that we can do as the church and in the United States to help families stay together? Yes, I I think one of, one of the things that we, you know, we, we really should start at is understanding this is actually not a new concept. Right. I mean, this has happened before to other generations with mm-hmm. Native Americans and yeah. children being taken away from their families and mm-hmm. being adopted. And and so that we do have this history that we, we need to acknowledge. Yes. And I mean, my family, uh, I have family that we're, my dad is actually Jewish and, and we have family uh, that have been murdered in the Holocaust. And we, mm-hmm. we know that phrase, never again. And yet we see these injustices that have already happened and we say right. never again. And then we, we see them happening again. And so I'm, I'm grateful to, to, to um, 
at least from my experience, express that this is um, this is happening, that, yeah. that parents are losing their parental rights because of the systems of um, just the systemic the brokenness in the system yes. that prevents them from getting updates or from being able to communicate. A couple summers ago, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you heard, it sounds like you have, of that zero tolerance policy. Yes. Where the... the the parents and the children would come to the border and it became a policy um, that if they if they came to the United States and, and crossed illegally, that they would be force, forcefully separated and mm-hmm. the parents would go into one detention center, the children would go into another detention center. Later on, this was actually declared an act of torture. Um, yes. And, and it, <laughs> it still is. happened. It is. It totally is. And these have... I dated a guy once who had a bipolar, or I'm sorry, borderline personality disorder. And when Uh you start researching some of the effects of separation on children Mm -hmm. and the effects that it can have long term, it's horrific. One of the families that was separated that summer, she ended up um, coming to the United States. Um, Her child had been recruited by a gang in Central America, and they said, no, we're not going to let her be a part of this. And, and they said, oh, well, we know where you live. We're coming after you. So, she, of course, she picked up what she had, a backpack with a few things and her daughter, and, and ran and came to the United States hoping to find safety. And and some of these tactics, you know, that the, that the Nazis used in concentration camps mm-hmm. where they would tell their children, or the children, um, oh, we're just going to take the kids to take a shower. We'll bring right. them right back. And they never saw each other. I mean, that was happening a couple yeah. summers ago. And this this lady told me that that's exactly what happened. The Border Patrol officer said, we're taking your daughter to get a shower. We'll be back. She never came back. She was put Ugh. into a detention center. The mom was put into a detention center on the border and then transferred here to Colorado. Mm-hmm. And eventually, after weeks of not being able to speak to her daughter, not being able even to know where her daughter was, which detention center she was in. The mother was released from the detention center and we were able to accompany her uh, from her release um, all the way to make sure she got t- to where her family was um, in the Northeast. And while she came over to the CASA, um, she she looked at me and, and we were just talking a little bit about her daughter and she's desperate to try to find out where her daughter was and, and we started making some calls. And then she said, um, do you have any any kids clothing? It's my daughter's birthday and, and when I see her for the first time when we're reunited, I'd really love to have a gift to be able to give her. And I took her down to the to the room where we have all of our clothing and backpacks and and someone earlier that week had donated a frozen backpack and it was Aww. brand new and it was sparkly and it was shiny. It was perfect. Aww. She saw it and her eyes lit up because she knew her daughter loved frozen mm-hmm. and so she grabbed that and you could tell, I mean, that's that kind of love that I see that my Mm -hmm. sister has for my niece or that my mom has for me that even though you're going through the most traumatic experience ever, right? Right. You're still thinking nonstop about your child and their, their happiness. And, and later on the next day, she was actually able to make contact with her daughter, which, which infuriated me in one sense because she had been detained for weeks and couldn't find where her daughter was. And as soon as she was released and had access to make more phone calls because 
phone calls in the detention center cost money. Mm. Um, she was able to talk to her daughter right away. Wow. And, and it was actually her daughter's birthday and her daughter, um, she had her put her, she put her on speakerphone and, and her daughter who was, I think, can't remember. I think she was seven and was just turning eight. She was asking her mom, um, mom, where are you? Mm-hmm. Mom, she said, she said, what did I do wrong? Ugh. She thought she was being punished. Yeah. And, and those are, that is the effect of some of our really inhumane immigration policies that right. are tearing apart families and, and not just short term for a few weeks or months, but will have lifelong consequences. Yeah. What can the church do to step in? What can people do when they're listening to these stories and they're like, because you can't hear stories like that unless you have a cold, dead heart. You can't <laughs> listen to that and say, oh, that doesn't affect me. Right. I mean, that is, it, it's like a punch in the guts to hear these things mm-hmm. that are happening just right next door to us, down yeah. the street. What can we do? How can we step in? What are some changes that need to be made? I think one of the very first things we can do is learn what does our scripture say about treating immigrants? Mm-hmm. How, how are we supposed to react? I mean, the Bible is full, New Testament, Old Testament, on, on, um, on taking care of one another and right. treating the foreigner as a citizen, which is completely <laughs> foreign concept to me a few years ago before I went on the border. I had no idea. Right, right. You know? So I think taking a good look, and there are a lot of resources out there on on scriptural-based, you know, this is actually what our scripture says. Here's how we can live out these values of our faith. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I think... What, you know, what fulfills you? What, what will, what will make your heart come alive? For me, it was creating a space to know that families would be reunited. And we did that through Casa de Paz. But for others, they may love to call their senator and ask for comprehensive immigration reform or to write a letter to the editor or to, you know, whatever it is that you may feel is because, I, and, you know, folks say, do you think everyone should be as riled up about immigration as you? And and the answer is no, because, I mean, obviously I want us to care about it and to have it shape our, our response. But I would never be this excited or energized or passionate about pulling plastic out of the ocean. But there are people, there are people who are mm-hmm. that excited and let oh, them yeah. do that. And I'll do this, but... I think the bare minimum, let's see what our faith says. And also, is your church already doing something? Or yeah. And if not, are they, are they even talking about it? Because I'll say that a lot of churches, they don't even know how to have that conversation because it is one of those hot topics and you don't right. want to do something that will, you know, up- upset or rock the boat, but... But when we start to understand that this is actually a central theme of our faith, then that will hopefully even just open the door to have that conversation. So if your church isn't talking about it, who do you need to talk to to see, um, you know, can, can we talk about this? Can, yeah. we, can we have a discussion? Yeah, that's a, a great recommendation. What are, tell us, I, I don't think you mentioned this in the beginning when you were talking. Tell us a little bit more about your organization, what you guys are 
doing um, and maybe some other organizations that people could follow, could donate to that are that are doing the work? Yeah. So Casa de Paz, um, it means House of Peace, and we are a hospitality home in Denver, Colorado. And so what we do, we host um, immigrants who have been released from detention in our home. So they're released, they come over to our house, and we help them transition from detention to their families in the U.S. or their sponsors or their friends. Um, So we have backpacks, clothing, meals, transportation to the airport or the bus station. It's a very short term, you know, one, two night kind of a turnaround. Uh We also host families in our home who are driving from out of state to visit their loved ones who are locked up. So kind of like the Ronald McDonald house, but for immigrants separated by detention. And then we also have our visitation program. I mean, when Jesus says, when I was in prison, you visited me, I think mm-hmm. that's pretty cut and dry. Right. <laughs> not, not much room for interpretation there. That's so right. So we also visit folks in detention, and, and we, we write letters right now during the pandemic because in-person visits have been suspended. So we find alternative ways to maintain that communication. So okay. it's, it's, it's not rocket science or yeah. brain surgery. It's very simple, and this this. This hospitality concept is central throughout scripture, yeah, and, and it's that. a beautiful tradition to be a part of. Um, so there are uh, many organizations out there uh, that are doing great work, not only on the border, but also in other states. And so I would say if you're involved in a specific denomination, let's say you may be Presbyterian, I would li- I would literally just Google Presbyterian immigration and see what resources are out there. Most uh, faith traditions, evangelical, Lutheran, Presbyterian, whatever, Catholic, they have created resources specific for those denominations. And, and I think that is also a good place to start because if you are attending that church, it probably means there's some level of trust already established. Right. And I think that's a great place to start. There's also a really great sort of introductory film to immigrant detention. It's called Locked in a Box, and okay. it was produced by um, the Lutheran Church. And I think it was Lutheran. Um, I'm pretty sure. But sorry if I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, Whoever it was produced by, it's phenomenally done. Um, And you can go on Vimeo and actually just watch it right there. And and it's free. You can just click it, push play. It's about 25 minutes. And what it does is it really kind of sets the stage of immigrant detention this for-profit factor also that's that's not really talked about too much but has to be addressed and then they they tell the stories of some folks who are detained who had been detained folks in churches who were part of visitation programs and it is really kind of a holistic short way to understand the reality of what's happening right now wow okay i'm going to put links to all the things you talked about in in my show notes so people can go watch them um, and I'm going to go watch those that you mentioned as well. It sounds yeah. amazing. Um, okay, we're about out of time. But before we go, I want to ask you, I always ask my guests at the end of each episode to share a resource. Is there something that you have been reading or watching or listening to that's really helped you reframe the way you look at the world? This could be something about immigration or anything, really. Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, right now we're seeing... The, the, our, our black, um, fellow Americans are, um, being, 
uh, I mean, they've been oppressed for centuries. And yes. I think that this is um, with the, the murder of Brianna and Ahmad and George. I think it's it's something that I've never seen before. The reaction, not only of this country, but of the entire world, understanding mm -hmm. that it it's, it's, hasn't been working as well as it should be or could yep. be, and, and this is the time. And so I've actually started following um, Brene Brown on uh, uh -huh. her podcast, and she had a really great interview with a gentleman called Ibram, and I can't remember his last name, but they just did the interview a few days ago. So if you want to find that link, you can post it. But it's the shift between, you know, what does it look like to be anti-racist yes. so it's not that you're saying i'm i'm just not racist it's actually taking it to a different level of what are ways that i can be anti-racist in my decisions that i make every day and in the words that come out of my mouth and understanding that concept i just listened to the podcast maybe three days ago and it has really given me a lot to think about and ponder mm -hmm. about and so that is one thing that i am kind of very I'm eager to explore and sit with and understand more. Yeah, that's awesome. It's um, it's Ibram Kendi. Thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. His <laughs> book is How to Be an Anti-Racist. Um, it's incredible. I will say go read the book. My husband and I read lots and lots of books about race, about everything, because it's just things that we're passionate about. We're raising a black son as mm -hmm. to white people. So it's something that's very near and dear to us to work, you know, to be anti-racist. So mm -hmm. I think... I recommend his book to everyone to go and read. It's it's very good. Did you see that he has a new uh, book for children coming yes. out? Like yeah, a little I've already pre-ordered it. I can't oh, wait to get it. <laughs> it's going to be the gift that I give to all my friends when they have babies now. Yeah, I'm, like, yeah. I'm going to buy a hundred of the books and just have them in my house and there, <laughs> there have it go. ready. It's perfect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> all right. I have one last question for you. Just something fun. What is something that's brought you joy this week? This can be something silly, something serious, some new eyeliner. I mean, just anything. Something that's brought you joy. My niece, Gabby, she brings oh, me joy so every day of my life. And once a week, we we have a picnic together. We walk to the, oh, to the meadow. So and this week, we walked past a house, and they had their Christmas decorations in the garage. Their garage door was up, and she saw Santa. And she freaked <gasps> nice. out. And she looked at me. She's like can we go pet Santa? <laughs> yes, Gabby, let's You're go like, pet sure, Santa. sure, why not? I know, so we went over there. <laughs> we pet That's Santa. That's amazing. <laughs> so fun. I will say, I mean, I have four kids, so I'm very busy as a mom, but I have um, lots of nieces, and so being an aunt is super fun. Oh. I love it because you can hang out with them and then yep. send them back home. Yes. And you get to spoil them as much as you want because that's your job. Exactly. So, I take that job very serious. It is a blast to be an aunt. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Um, will you just really quick share where people can find you, where they can buy your book? Yes. So our website is casadepazcolorado.org. You can find the book there. You can follow us on social media. You can sign up for our newsletter. That's the one-stop shop. Awesome. Well, I will put a link to that, all of that in the show notes as well. And thank you so much, Sarah. This has been a very informative conversation. I hope it really helps people begin to find their place in the conversation about immigration and, and really start to understand what's really going on at our borders. Amen. That is my, my prayer as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining us today for this conversation. I hope you are encouraged to 
ask questions and open your mind a little about immigration and what that looks like and how we can partner with people seeking asylum in this country. And so I just wanted to say thank you again to Sarah. And I really encourage you guys to go and get her book. Um, again, it's called The House That Love Built. And I will put a link in the show notes today so you can run and get yourself a copy of that. It's very encouraging, very helpful, great information. So you guys are awesome. Thanks for joining me today. Um, as always, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm at Kara K. James. And finally, keep asking questions for a friend. <laughs>